Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today we have a special guest for you, Lauren Cohen, and she is an international lawyer and also the founder of Investing Across Borders. So Lauren, welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Thank you. I am doing really well. I am just actually leaving from a small kind of mini work vacation here in Orlando where everybody's buying up property like crazy. And I'm also a realtor. So I just wanted to mention that I'm not just a lawyer. I'm also a realtor and a real estate investor, which brings me to the show. So Lauren, Can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you even got started in all this space? Yes, for sure. So I am originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I'm extremely busy these days because all the Canadians want out, a lot of them, much more than I've ever seen before. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, it's just a crazy time. So I moved to South, well, I moved to Florida 21 years ago, and I was at the time doing corporate and in-house law. I've been a lawyer for a very long time. And then I became a realtor when I got my green card. And during the process, before becoming a realtor, I actually had an experience that prompted me to become an immigration lawyer and focus on this amazing field. My ex-husband was deported on the way back from our honeymoon, which was an absolutely crazy time because that was not expected. And they put him in immigration jail and they barred him from entry. And here I was in the process of getting my green card. I'm like, what do I do? So I decided at that time that there was no choice but for me to focus on helping others avoid a similar fate. And I put all of my pieces together. And now my signature program is actually called How to Immigrate Through Real Estate. But it's kind of like my big fact wedding because you can say how to immigrate through investment, how to immigrate through business expansion. But how to immigrate through real estate is sounds cool and it rhymes. And there's so many real estate investors interested in accessing the U.S. market. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine for newlyweds on your honeymoon for that to that type of event to happen. That must have yeah. been a, quite an experience. Definitely was life changing on many levels. Yes. So, Lauren, you mentioned that a lot of people are moving from Canada and looking to move into the United States. They're also looking to invest and real estate within the United States. Why do you think that is? And what's driving the trend right now? So there's a lot of things. First of all, the regulations in Canada are significantly stricter than here. Not many Canadian provinces are landlord friendly. So real estate investors have a lot more rules to follow. Real estate, as you know, other than in Southern California or South Florida, is crazy expensive in 99.9% of Canada. The average home price is about 2.5 to three times what it is here on average overall, not Santa Barbara, maybe, but, you know, on average. And so they are looking south of the border because there's more volume, there's more opportunity. Yes, there's more demand, 
but the doors are just open and the floodgates are coming. A lot of them want passive income opportunities like syndications and REIT. And if they want a visa, they're going to want more active involved in developing the business model. Because in order to get a visa, they have to be actively running a business. They can't be a passive real estate investor. So my superpower rests in actually transitioning them from an investor in a syndicate, for example, or many, to being an investor in a business that can qualify them for a visa. And the reality is that if they're developing the syndication, for example, they actually are the founders of it and developers of it, they might indeed be able to use that as a path to a visa as well. You mean in the United States or in Canada? Yeah. No, here in the U.S. So if they were the ones that were building the syndicate and raising the money, then that could also be a path to a visa, as opposed to being a passive investor in the syndicate so that they are like a joint venture partner or something like that. I see. So what is the typically like the biggest hurdle as you're looking to invest across borders that you typically have as you're looking to do that? So let's say that you're staying in your home country and you want to invest in the U.S., wherever you are. The most important piece of the puzzle is always going to be, well, the two most important pieces, legal and accounting help. And way too many people tend to just go on to some site and set up a limited liability company. And this is particularly true for Canadians because Canadians set up an LLC, they could be subject to double taxation or have a problem because their LLC is not recognized. It's a disregarded entity by the Canadian government. So you have to set up a structure to protect that LLC and protect your investment. So I think the number one problem that people face, especially Canadians, because there's access to so much information, is that they just try to kind of run into something and just do whatever their friend does or whatever they see online. And that's not the best way to go because you're going to end up spending more money to fix the problems than you would have if you had set it up properly in the first place. So what are the steps? Okay, so if let's say somebody is even considering you know, investing across the borders, looking to invest within the U.S., what are some of the steps that they would need to take first in order to set them up for success so they're not running to these issues with investments down the road? Sure. I actually have a download on this very subject that I will gladly share with you. It's uh, the 10 steps to successful real estate investing across borders. Imagine that. And the first step is always going to be speaking to the right professionals, speaking to the legal and accounting team. Now, our company is holistic. So we have an accountant, cross-border accountant on our team that speaks to all of our clients. I don't do anything without him, literally anything. Okay. I also file my taxes with him. But at the end of the day, it's very important that you speak with professional realtors as well when you're starting to invest, because you don't want to just say, oh, I want to invest in Indianapolis, but I don't know who to invest with. So again, it's all about a team and making sure that you're investing properly, making sure that you're investing with a strategy. So there's just many, many steps. But the most important thing that you can do for yourself is make sure that you reach out to the professionals that really understand cross-border investing and can help you. What do you think is it about the U.S. market that drives so many international investors? Accessibility, volume, opportunity, upside, cash flow. There's just price points. Um, volume of markets. I mean, you know, you're looking at markets ranging from parts of Ohio or Michigan where the price point could be, you know, $40,000 to Santa Barbara, California, where the price point could be $20 million. So it's every range and every size and shape and just the opportunity that that presents. So for you, you're dealing and you're working with a lot of international investors in this space. 
What has been the current trend that you're seeing in terms of location and markets and the types of asset classes you know, international investors are flocking to at this time? So you'll never guess, but I would say at least 75% of my foreign nationals are looking for multifamily. Everybody wants multifamily. Where? So I'm in Florida. So, and the natural migration for my Canadian clients is to Florida, but that doesn't mean they're all investing here. I have investors in, like I said, Detroit, like all around Michigan, Ohio, um, Arizona, Texas is a big one, Florida, Arkansas, landlord friendly states that they have opportunity to grow and scale. A lot of clients invest in the Georgia area. It's not as landlord friendly, but it does have a lot of upside potential and good cash flow. So it really depends on what you're looking for. North Carolina is another one. There's really just no shortage of opportunity. You just have to have the right team in place to help you get there. So what about it about multifamily particularly are they attracted to in compared to like the other asset classes, at least from what you've seen? Yeah. So I think a lot of them are looking to do short-term rentals and create opportunity. And then, you know, multifamily is just appealing because it allows you to get into multiple doors at once and build a, a network and a facility and an opportunity for yourself. And also if you're looking for a visa, it's a great asset class. Single family generally won't work for a visa because it's too passive. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. So... Setting it up is one thing, right? As they're looking to get to invest in the US. But what happens on the back end when let's say an asset it's an asset gets sold or it's um, you know, it's gone full cycle now? What kind of happens on the back end to the foreign investor? So the back end, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not following exactly. So is there any, I guess, anything that is a little bit different that you know that they wouldn't have thought about on upon sale of an asset? As oh, an investor, you mean for the seller? Yes. Well, they have to get financing. So that's always a challenge for a foreign national. Now, I do have great financing resources specifically for non-owner occupied U.S. investments by foreign nationals, but that's always going to be a little bit of a hurdle, more so than if you're a domestic investor, because you're going to have access to capital. Um, a lot of foreign investors have access to their own lines of credit, but they may or may not be able to use that money for U.S. investing. There could be restrictions. So that's an issue. Setting up your legal structure is another issue because it takes a little longer because you've got to get the bank accounts, it takes longer to get the tax ID. So there are considerations, but it's worth it to get into that. Once you get one, you start kind of getting a slew of them. And typically, how long does the process take to set up all the legal structure, the bank accounts and everything like that if it's the first time investment? Yeah, it's about a month because they're going to be waiting a couple of weeks for the tax ID. So I would say realistically, it's at least a month, maybe a little more, depending on how long it takes them to get the uh, the, the uh, business set up. And then what has been, I guess, 
as they are looking to continuously invest in the U.S., what are some of the other challenges that they have to face in order to be able to set up properly and to be able to invest in these types of vehicles? Well, being able to visit the properties is an issue, especially now because travel is challenged. And if they're not vaccinated, that's going to be even more challenging. So they're going to have to consider possibly virtual investing, which is available, of course. Considering whether or not they want these investments to pave the path to a visa, it's going to affect their investments. So there's a lot of considerations and just making sure that they have their own assets in their home country protected as they're investing across borders. Because the last thing that they want to do, and a lot of people do this, is set up shop in the U.S., without paying any attention to what it, that's how that's going to impact them in their home country. And suddenly they have double taxation because they didn't set up properly. And that's a very common problem. A lot of big companies train people on how to invest in U.S. real estate, and they don't really care where you're from. Or people saying, you can do the 1031 exchange, but maybe you can't. You can do it here, but then it's going to be disregarded in your home country. So it's really about having that specialization and understanding of the home country and the new country. You need to have a, from a legal professional side of things, you need to have some type of permit or some type of documentation in order to work with them from the different types of countries that they're coming from? No, not necessarily. I mean, that's going to depend on the mortgage and the title company and stuff. But no, you don't necessarily need any special designation. There are realtors that have CIPS, which is International Property Specialist designation. That doesn't necessarily qualify them to work with them either. It's really about understanding their needs and their wants and being able to provide them with the best guidance and the best team to support their investment strategies. For those international investors who have maybe already invested in a couple of different properties here in the United States, but maybe they didn't go through the proper channels or they didn't set it up correctly in the very beginning, is there anything that they can do now or how can they even determine whether or not their legal structure is set up correctly and if they're going to be protected as they bring in their capital into their home country. Yeah, so it's going to be a little bit more challenging. We're going to have to look at their structure and do an analysis and see what we would recommend in terms of fixing. Maybe they'll have to quick claim some of the properties. I don't know. And we've definitely done that more than once. And sometimes there are going to be tax implications of doing that, but it's going to save you taxes in the long run. So. I guess for you, like, because you've worked with so many different international investors, have you seen it mostly primarily from Canada that are coming to the United States or are there other countries as well? So I'm Canadian. So it's a natural fit for me to work with Canadians. I work with tons of Brits, Israelis, Brazilians, French people, excuse me, lots of Chinese, but that's a little more challenging in terms of the visa. Literally, there's people... I mean, now I think there's going to be a lot of Ukrainians, sadly, that are going to be looking for ways to get out of the country. And the the Ukraine has access to the investor visa. So um, Mexicans, definitely a lot of Mexicans. Sorry, I forgot. And Colombians. You know, where I am now in in Orlando, Florida, we went to see a project the other day. It's been 75% bought by Colombians. They're not looking for visas. They're just looking for second homes or investment opportunities. So there's a lot of that available. And and we focus on that because there's demand. And so we'd like to be able to supply the demand, you know? How has investing for you personally impacted your life as you've made that transition from investing and moving from Canada all the way to the United States now? Well, I already was an investor in Canada. So just kind of part of my life, I take it for granted. Right now, I'm looking for an investment property to meet certain checkboxes of mine. So it's taken me a little longer, especially in this market. Um, but, you know, I'll get there. And I, 
uh, I, I like joint venturing and being a part of all kinds of different opportunities and networking and really just bringing value to my partners and my, my clients and to the real estate investments that I make. I don't love being a landlord. It's not something I enjoy. I like having a property management company involved so I don't have to have any headaches, but it's definitely a part of my portfolio, an important part too. And so what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Don't wait to invest until the perfect time. Just do it when, when, when it's there. Find the opportunity and make the investment. I didn't make an investment in November that I wanted to make. And now the price, it's, a, it's new construction and the price is already $100,000 more. So, And from your experience also, I'd love to ask the current environment that we're seeing right now within real estate and then with maybe like some of the laws that are coming down, is it going to be more difficult or is anything in the environment going to be changing from the legal side of things for foreign investors to be able to invest into the U.S.? Gosh, I really, that if I had a crystal ball to answer that, I would. If I had a crystal ball to answer that about immigration, I would. We have something called the Competes Act that they're talking about bringing in, which would change the whole dynamic of immigration, the immigration process for startup entrepreneurs, for example, which would include real estate investors. So I don't know. I don't think they're going to make it harder to invest here because we need the cash and capital. And I think that we're, as much as we want to protect the country. We also want to keep our doors open. And I think that's really important, especially now, you know, that we're dealing with all of these Canadians just being on the other side of the border that need to have a a place to go. Um, They're frustrated and fed up with all the rules. And I got to say, I can't blame them. And so then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Taking risk every single day. If you're not willing to take a risk, you're not going to be successful. If you're always going to do the safe thing, you're not going to step outside of your box. You've got to face your fears and do it. Okay. Just like Nike says, just do it. Or Theodore Herzl, who said, if you build it, well, he said, if you will it, it is not a dream. And then of course, from field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. It's true. Just do it. Just get out of your comfort zone and do it. And you know what? Sometimes you've got to do something before it's ready. I have a course that I'm creating. I've already sold the course and it's not quite ready. I have three more modules to do, but it will be done. So Lauren, for you, what has been the best tool or resource that you've utilized or maybe your other investors have been able to utilize to be, you know, to improve the efficiency of their business or their investing? So if you're talking about an online tool, I don't really have an answer for you because I use many. I think that for me, the best, I mean, I I love Amazon because it makes my life easier. Um, I love Instacart or Shipt because they make my life easier. And um, I think that the, the tool, my number one asset is my network every single day, having the connections and the contacts and the relationships that I've built over time that allow me to reach out to people in Cambodia when I don't have somebody in Cambodia and create a new relationship based on my credibility and my brand that allows me to then service a client that has a need in Cambodia, for example. Fantastic. Well, Lauren, is there anything else that a international investor is looking to, you know, invest in the United States or that we hadn't talked about that maybe they should consider before, you know, getting into the space and making sure that everything is set out correctly as they start this venture? So don't panic if you don't get in on that first deal because you'll get in on the next one. There's always going to be another deal, but at the same time, that sooner that you'll have your structure set up, the sooner you're going to be able to make those real offers. 
yesterday we had a gentleman who wasn't ready and we needed to make an offer on a property and we scrambled like crazy to get it done for him but it just makes it harder you should have your packages and your ducks ready and all your entities structured and ready to go so that when you need to make that offer you're ready to go over and above asking you're ready to waive appraisals you're ready to do whatever you need to do to get that property and that's what's important so lauren if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing in this space where's the best place that they can go so you can always find me. Well, actually, my brand new chatbot is always going to be the best place to find me now. We just launched it. It's called AskLaurenESQ.com. You can go there and ask any questions that you want. AskLaurenESQ.com. And I'm branded everywhere with the brand Investing Across Borders, including my own path, which is called Investing Across Borders. That's actually what prompted me to develop the brand around that. So thank you so much for having me, Aileen. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I'm here to assist anybody that is considering or contemplating investing across borders. And I will also add that we don't just do inbound to the US, we also do outbound from the US into Costa Rica, into Mexico, into Canada, into Belize, for example, which is a big, big opportunity right now. So here to help you with any of your investing across borders needs. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. Take care. Bye. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.